Here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for our hearts. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer, asking God's blessing over this Father, we do need the blessing of your presence and your spirit to guide us, to open our hearts, to give us understanding, to soften our hearts, even to overcome the resistance, any resistance that there might be in our hearts to reject your truth. Father, we, we ask for the assistance and the work of your Holy Spirit among us to speak to us to enlighten us so that your word will be fruitful in our hearts, in our congregation, in our gathering this morning. We pray this in the name of Christ for his glory and for his honor. Amen. Amen. Wisdom. Who doesn't want it? Who is there this morning who would not seek wisdom? understanding. By now, most students have finished school, at least those who are in, in, grad or in, in, in higher education. We go to school to seek understanding, to seek knowledge, to grow in, in wisdom. Who doesn't want wisdom? Well, this morning, we will look at two kinds of wisdom. But in order to understand what James is speaking about, I want us to trace back and, and, and get a context of what has been going on so far in the book of James, and particularly chapter 3 started uh, with addressing the tongue. He, James reminded us in chapter 3, verse 5, if you keep your Bibles open, that the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. James reminded us last time when we were here in the book of James two weeks ago uh, that uh, how we use our tongue is a great indication of our nature, of our hearts. Now, in our text, in the passage we have before us, 
James begin to address wisdom. The theme of wisdom is important for James. Remember how he began in, ver- in chapter 1, verse 5? If you turn just a page in your Bibles, James 5, uh, 1, 5, James said to believers, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Who doesn't want wisdom? What won't we do to get wisdom? But the question is, is all wisdom the same? Is all wisdom the same? From the very beginning of the book, James introduced us with a specific kind of wisdom. The wisdom that comes from God. The wisdom that God gives. The wisdom that we ask God to give us. My friend, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian and you're with us this morning. First of all, we're so glad you're with us. Uh, we hope you would come again. We hope to get to know you. We hope to, to be able to, to engage with you and, and learn about your life. We, we hope you would feel the, the warmth and welcome of our relationships. But if you're not a Christian and you're hearing this, this theme of wisdom, there's something very specific that I need to say right away from the bat, from the beginning. That if you're not a Christian, realize that this wisdom from above, this wisdom that we can ask God to give us, this wisdom cannot be given to us apart from Christ. In, in, in the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 3, Paul describes Christ as the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So if we want to ask God to give us wisdom, if we want to ask God to give us knowledge, God cannot give us those, that wisdom and knowledge apart from the Christ in whom this wisdom and knowledge is hidden. Do you understand that? So that the first and foremost way in which we can even approach this request, asking God for wisdom, if you're not a Christian, the first part of that request is for us to ask God to give us Jesus, the one whom he sent to live a perfect life. And yet he was crucified, he was killed. You know why? Why would a perfect A flawless human being, flawless even in his nature. Why would he die condemned and crucified as if cursed by God? Even though he had done no sin, no rebellion, he did it in order to take upon himself the penalty of our rebellion. He took upon himself the penalty and the the sins of all those who would return to God, who would see God and, and repent of their sins and trust in Christ and seek God for His salvation. For them, Christ died so that their sins would be fully paid for, so that their guilt would be fully covered, so that they could be declared righteous in the sight of God, justified. Oh, friends, in Christ, you as a sinner, You as a guilty sinner 
we as guilty sinners can come to God, ask God to forgive us, to cleanse us, to declare us righteous in His sight. And we can be declared by faith and faith alone, be declared righteous in the sight of God. And when we do that, when we repent and try, turn to Christ, asking God to save us, God gives us Christ. He unites us with Christ. And the righteousness of Christ, His perfections become ours. But you know what else becomes ours? His wisdom. The wisdom of God, hidden in Christ, is given to us. That's why, oh friend, if you are to seek the wisdom of God, the first step of seeking that wisdom is to seek that in which His wisdom is hidden. That is Christ. Because if, you never, if you're not a Christian, you've never repented of your sin. You've never acknowledged that you're a sinner. If you've never realized that you have rebelled against God and His ways, oh friend, realize that you are facing an eternal judgment of God unless you repent and turn to Christ. And I encourage you to do so even this morning, even now. Even at the beginning of the sermon, I've not even gotten to my sermon, and I'm calling you the way to seek the wisdom of God. If you're not a Christian, is first, repent. Trust in Christ to save you. Ask God to save you and to give you Christ, and He will give you Christ and His wisdom and His righteousness. If you'd like to know more about that, please, at the end of the service, come and talk to me or to anyone who's a Christian this morning here. Come and talk to them at, at the table at lunch. Or later this afternoon, if you're talking to someone, a Christian, talk to them about this decision, about this need, about this desire for you to repent and trust in Christ and seek His wisdom through Christ. But if you are a Christian, and I hope this morning most of us are that, if you are a Christian and, and you're seeking this wisdom that God gives only through Christ, what does that wisdom look like? How do you know you have it? How does it manifest in your life? Just because you call yourself a Christian, does it mean that all wisdom that you're seeking is a wisdom that comes from God? Is it a true wisdom? This morning, as we look at this passage, James confronts us with the reality that there are two kinds of wisdom. So, let's look at what, how do you know, what is the evidence that you are wise and understanding? This morning, we'll, the, the sermon will have three points. If you'd like taking notes, here's the first point uh, of, our, of, our ta- of our passage, of our text this morning. True wisdom leads to humble conduct. True wisdom, the one that God gives, leads to humble conduct. Look at verse 13. James asks, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In other words, all right, you think you're wise. You you think you have understanding. You are seeking wisdom and understanding, and you think you are making progress in that. How do you know? What do you have to show for your wisdom? How do you display it? It's 
James says it's, it's not by how much knowledge we have. It's not how much, by how much information we know. Um, high school students, let me speak to you for a second. It's not by your SAT score or your ACT score. It's not by your grades. Um, graduate students, it's not by your GMAT score either. It's not your IQ score. It's not even our ability to understand things or comprehend issues. Friends, it's not even how much Bible knowledge you have or how many times you've read the Bible from beginning to the end. Or it's not even about how much and how well you know to teach the Bible to others. James confronts us with a surprising answer. How do you know you're wise and understanding? The adequate measure of our wisdom and understanding is our good conduct and works done in the meekness of wisdom. Wow, interesting measure for wisdom. How do you know you're wise? Look at your life. For those of you who have been with us in our sermon series in the book of, Act, in the book of James, uh, just a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 2 and James spoke about faith and works, uh, you remember that James clarified, clarified for us that we cannot separate faith from works. Now, faith and works are two different things. They're not the same thing, but they cannot be separated. A living faith, James taught us in chapter 2, a living faith will produce works. That was chapter 2. Now, in chapter 3, James tells us that we cannot, we cannot separate wisdom from good conduct. This view of wisdom is very different than anything our society defines as wisdom and understanding. Our society would define wisdom and understanding by the amount of knowledge one can accumulate in his brain, by one's ability to make smart decisions, but the Bible has a different definition of wisdom and understanding. As a matter of fact, if we look at from the very beginning of Scripture and going to the Old Testament of how uh, the Bible defines wisdom and understanding, the Bible never reduces wisdom and understanding simply to information or not even to the ability of making good decisions or to think deeply, or to make smart choices. As, as we've heard earlier in the service, in the passage that was read earlier from the book of Proverbs, um, wisdom is always connected to ethics. Actually, wisdom and understanding come into our hearts, and when they come into our hearts, they will listen to the language of Proverbs too. I'm just going to pick up a few phrases from that passage that we read earlier. This wisdom and understanding, when it comes into your heart, will, says Solomon, will deliver you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil. Wisdom and understanding will protect us from such people and such paths. Wisdom and understanding will also deliver us, listen, 
will also deliver us from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. This is what wisdom and understanding will do in our lives, says Proverbs 2. And then in Proverbs 2.20, it says, So you will walk in the way of good and keep the paths of righteousness. Do you see how Proverbs paints this picture of wisdom and understanding? Displays it by the good conduct, the conduct of righteousness. Now, where did, where did Proverbs get this? Why is Proverbs saying and connecting wisdom and understanding with, with ethics, with, with the ways of God? Well, we have to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, the passage we read even earlier in our service today. By the way, did you notice a pattern? When we, when we read various passages of Scripture before the, ser- before the sermon, we try to, it's intentional, we try to get our, our minds ready for what will be preached. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, uh, Moses says to the second generation of the Israelites who are about to walk into the promised land, and Moses says, and here's how Moses describes the commandments of God, which God has given to his people through the mouth of Moses. Moses says to them, See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and understanding. Interesting. In the Old Testament, wisdom and understanding was defined by living out the commands of our Creator, the one who made us, seeking to live out in His ways. This is how the Bible defines wisdom and understanding. Wow, how different that definition is from the way our society defines wisdom and understanding. And friends, we are accustomed uh, to think of someone as smart or wise regardless of how they live. We are accustomed, our, our society is training us to separate someone's personal life from his abilities, either of leadership or of wisdom. And yet the Bible will not allow us to separate our view of wisdom from our conduct. Actually, when James connects wisdom to our conduct, he is telling us the purpose of why God wants to give us wisdom and understanding. Friends, here's when we seek God for wisdom, and parents, oftentimes we pray for our children that God would give them wisdom and understanding. Uh, We pray for one another. We pray for ourselves that God would give us wisdom uh, and understanding in various situations. But realize that when we pray that and when, when we ask God to give us His wisdom, realize that God is not interested to give us wisdom in order simply to get good grades. God is not interested to give us wisdom simply to to enable us to get a good job and so we can make lots of money. No. When God wants to give us wisdom, He does it so that we may live according to His ways, so that we may have a good conduct before Him. That is the purpose why God gives us wisdom. Actually, when James connects uh, wisdom to our conduct, he is also 
uh, speaking about a particular kind of conduct and a particular kind of works. They are works and a co- they are a way of life in the meekness of wisdom. Did you get that phrase in the text? It says, By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Even the good conduct, even the good works that we might be able to do, that we might be able to accomplish, that we might be able to live out, it's not done so that we may boast about it. It's not done so that we may have a prideful attitude about our accomplishments. But it's done so that we might be humble. The wisdom that James promotes is a wisdom that causes in us humility, not pride. Friend, I wonder if you realize that the source of humility is biblical wisdom. And I wonder if you realize that biblical wisdom will always promote and produce humility. Biblical wisdom molds us to actions of meekness. Friend, do you connect wisdom and humility? When you have the impression of evaluating someone to be, wow, that person is very smart, that person is very wise, that person has a lot of understanding, lots of brains. Well, you might have lots of brains, meaning lots of information, but if that person is not humble. James wants to challenge us to see what kind of wisdom are we attributing to that person. Sadly, the believers to whom James is writing were pursuing wisdom, but were not pursuing the kind of wisdom that James wants to talk to them about. If you look at, look at verse 14, verse 14 is, has a strong but Look at verse 14, 15, and 16. It starts with a strong but. James says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and spiritual, demonic. This wisdom that that they were seeking may still look like wisdom, may act like wisdom, but he's not the wisdom James talks to them about. The wisdom that they are seeking, James says, is earthly wisdom. So the second point in, in our text that we see here is that after, after describing that, that the wisdom that comes, the true wisdom, produces humility, the second point that James brings out to them is that the earthly wisdom produces relational damage. The earthly wisdom produces relational damage. Notice, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast. The phrase bitter jealousy um, could be translated in a a different way. Uh, It could be translated as bitter zeal. Now, zeal alone is not bad to have. To have have a, a desire, a longing for something is not bad. We know that God is a jealous God. He wants us exclusively for Himself. And we also know, Titus says, Christians should be zealous to do good works. But here James is talking about a negative jealousy. 
a jealousy that is bitter, a desire that is caused by bitterness. We can have desires, strong desires, longings that are caused by grumbling in our heart, by complaining. So bitter jealousy is often the root of divisiveness and a party spirit, especially in a community. James connects this idea of bitter jealousy with another phrase, selfish ambition. Again, it's not bad to, have to be an ambitious person, to, have to, be, to be a driven person. It's good to have ambitions that are good. The problem is when these ambitions are selfish, when these ambitions are self-centered. Some in James's day would boast in their wisdom and they would boast in their understanding, but, but their wisdom and understanding and their boasting about it was rooted in selfish ambition and bitterness, bitter zeal. Oh, friends, how often we want to be wise for our own sake. And actually, we might be more interested in being perceived as wise than actually being wise. We just want people to know that we are wise people. But actually be wise. Friends, would you care for being wise if no one on planet Earth would appreciate you for being wise? Would you care for it? We want wisdom often to draw attention to ourselves, to our wants or to our way of doing things. And then we boast about it. This is self-centered, self-ambitious wisdom, the earthly wisdom that leads us to boasting about it. But James says that such earthly wisdom lies about the truth. It lies about what true wisdom is. When we desire to be wise, yet we allow bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in our lives, we really lie about what true wisdom is about. Instead of displaying true wisdom, notice what kind of wisdom are we displaying. Instead of true wisdom, we are displaying, verse 15 tells us, a wisdom that does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Interesting description of this earthly wisdom. Earthly in the sense that it comes not from God, but from the earth. It's unspiritual in the sense that it comes not from the spirit, but from our natural abilities, our natural inclinations, not from the spirit of God in us. And it's demonic in the sense that the ultimate source of such wisdom is the devil. Yes, there is a wisdom, dear friends. There is a wisdom that looks like wisdom. There is a wisdom that makes you feel wise and gets you to boast about your wisdom and gets you to, to get the appreciation of others and get others to see you. Or There's a wisdom that is very ambitious, very zealous, very driven. But it could be simply an earthly wisdom. And such wisdom is actually devoid and separated from the Spirit of God. And more so, worst of all, it's wisdom that is demonic. In what way is it demonic? So how, how can that wisdom that looks so good, that is self-ambitious, how is it demonic? Well, friends, remember the time when Jesus told his disciples that he will be killed in Jerusalem? And Jesus said that right after Peter confessed that he was the Son of God. 
and uh, Jesus um, told them that they, he's going to Jerusalem. He will be crucified. And Peter, right after confessing that Jesus was the Son of God, Peter said to, says to Jesus, Oh, Lord, no, that should never be so. And humanly speaking, Peter gave Jesus wise words of, of preserving life, self-protection, a natural impulse, natural wisdom. Jesus responded to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Behind the words of Peter. Behind the wise words of Peter. Behind the earthly wisdom of Peter that was seeking and thinking in the earthly ways was actually the voice of Satan. Tempting Jesus once again through his disciple to do something opposite of God's plan. Friends, the wisdom that is human oftentimes, oftentimes is a hindrance to the plans of God. Oftentimes it opposes the plans of God. And the wisdom that opposes the plans of God, even though it may sound very good in our human ways, in our human understanding, that wisdom is not from above. It is earthly. It is unspiritual. And it is in the service of the kingdom of darkness. And in that sense, it is demonic. Notice what kinds of fruit will, be, will come out of such earthly wisdom. Not only will it cause us jealousy and selfish ambition. Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every Bile practice. Now, the word for disorder is a word that James used before in this, in this letter. It's the same word that James used earlier in chapter 1 when he spoke about the people who have a double heart or double-mindedness. It's, it's the same word that James used when he spoke about people who are unstable in their ways. It's also the same word that James uses in chapter 3 when he spoke about being, having a double tongue. The same word is now used here. Worldly wisdom causes instability and disorder in our lives, in our relationships, in our community, in our families, in our church. Friends, worldly wisdom can destroy a church. And yet many often fall for trying to build a church through earthly wisdom. How often the sweet fellowship of Christians in a church has been destroyed because people acted according to a worldly wisdom, according to their own selfish ambitions, according to their own zeal. Perhaps a zeal birthed out of grumbling and complaining. And they allowed such wisdom to cause disorder and to fall for all kinds of sinful practices. And James doesn't list us those sinful practices. He just says all kinds of vile practices. Let me mention some that I think I could give you some examples. Human manipulation. Trying to get things done according to human, human methods of, of getting things done. Lying, gossip, slander, evil. We allow to follow our own agendas and at the expense of of the spiritual well-being of the church. Friends, worldly wisdom can destroy 
the fellowship of a church. Worldly wisdom can destroy human relationships in a family, friendships, because it seeks our own selfish advantages at all costs. In contrast to such wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, James will give us another kind of wisdom. The third point of the sermon is a wisdom from above produces fruits of righteousness. The wisdom from above produces fruits of righteousness. Starting with verse 17 in our passage, we have the profile of the wisdom from above. This verse is introduced by another <laughs> but, another contrast. To contrast now the wisdom that was just presented earlier, the wisdom of the earth, now contrasted with the wisdom that comes from above. And notice eight characteristics of the wisdom that comes from above. Eight characteristics. Actually, depending on how you count them, you might count seven. Um, but let's look at these characteristics uh, briefly, just very briefly. The characteristic of the wisdom that comes from above is first, pure. Pure. This characteristic is first because it's like the locomotive of a train. It sort of pulls a whole train of characteristics together. Someone actually called this characteristic the first and preeminent attribute that wisdom produces. It's purity. Purity. Friends, when was the last time that you heard our society, our world, define wisdom by purity? It's the same word that, that Paul uses when Paul describes how he, as an apostle, wants to present the church to Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, 2. By the way, listen to the language of, of jealousy that Paul has. Paul has a jealousy for the believers in Corinth. He says, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Did you hear that word, as a pure virgin to Christ? But Paul says, but I'm afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Yes, friends, the wisdom that comes from above is a wisdom which prompts us to purity because that wisdom is itself pure. Friends, any thought or advice or wisdom that prompts you to act in an unpure way is not the wisdom from above. Any wisdom or advice or counsel that you receive from friends, from social media, from uh, TV, from whatever sources you're taking your wisdom or cues from, if it doesn't lead you to act in a pure way, it's not wisdom from above, no matter how good of a sense it makes. Second, and actually the rest of the characteristics, we could, we could go on and just uh, and unpack what this purity looks like. The second characteristic is peaceable. This, this word could also be translated as, as loving peace. The wisdom that comes from above leads us to love peace, to seek it, to fight for it, to protect it in our lives, 
in the lives of our relationships, in the lives of our, in the life of our community, in our church. In Proverbs 3.17, we read that the ways of wisdom and understanding are ways of pleasantness and paths of peace. Friend, is the wisdom that you seek, is the wisdom that you think you have leading you to seek peace in your relationships, in various aspects of your life? Are you a person with whom others can live in peace? Or would others say about you that, it, that you're a very difficult person to live in peace with you? Friends, if that's the case, the wisdom that you might be seeking or the wisdom that might be guiding you is anything but the wisdom that comes from above. A third characteristic is gentle. This word can also be translated as considerate. Considering others, showing willingness to yield to others. In, in 2 Corinthians 10, 1, Paul appealed to the meekness and gentleness of Christ. In particular, Paul included gentleness as one of the qualifications for elders. Friends, we are about to, to consider uh, adopting a new constitution in which we are considering to move to a plurality of, of shepherds or elders. Do you realize as we will get to that place, if the Lord leads us and affirms to us that we should, uh, if we get to that place and we will be selecting and affirming more elders, more shepherds from within the congregation, that one of the qualifications for these shepherds is they must be gentle. The wisdom that comes from above is gentle. And the people who manifest that gentleness well, who, who practice it and are a model for others of how to practice it, they can qualify, if they qualify in other, other things as well, as shepherds. The fourth characteristic, actually, let me say something about this gentleness. Especially when we have to confront a hard and difficult situation, especially when we have to speak words that are difficult to say, we want to do it with a spirit of gentleness. It's easy to be gentle when everything is fine. It's easy to be gentle when no nothing's going on that's difficult, that's hard. And we shouldn't put those difficult things under the rug and not address them. But we have to address them. We, we have to address our differences. But do it with gentleness. Do it with being considerate to others. The next one, the next characteristic of wisdom that comes from above is being open to reason. Some versions translate this word as, as submissive, but a better translation is the one that our ESV has, namely open to reason. It means being open to be persuaded, not in the sense of lacking convictions, but a willing deference to others when biblical principles are not involved. Uh, there are people who make it very difficult to reason with them especially when we have differences among us. And my goodness, in a church like ours or any other church, people come from different backgrounds. People who had been experiencing different, different ways of doing the life of the church or different things that are different. We will have differences in the life of a church. But how do we address them? Are we open to reason with one another? Are we open to bring those differences and, and talk through them and understand one another? There are people who when they have different views, they're not willing to consider the reasoning of others. People who are so cemented in their ways, they're not even willing to open a conversation. Friends, this is not, this kind of resistance to, to discussion is not a wisdom that comes from above. Now, that doesn't mean that you will end up agreeing on everything. 
but at least having a, an openness to discuss matters and understand where is the other person coming from. You know, a fifth characteristic is full of mercy and good fruit. James already addressed the importance of showing mercy earlier in, the la- in, the, in, this, in this book. Showing mercy to Christians in need, to widows, to orphans, to those who lack the basic necessity of life. The wisdom that comes from above produces in us actions and words full of mercy. Instead of bitterness, instead of complaining, we want to be people who respond with mercy and other good fruits because God has been good and merciful to us. The sixth characteristic is impartial. Earlier in this letter, James addressed the sin of impartiality or the sin of partiality. Now James says the wisdom that comes from above is impartial. I want to clarify this word because it, it really means a word, uh, it means, uh, it could be translated as undivided or without division. In this whole letter, James has been addressing Christians in the danger of having a double-minded or a double-tongued experience. And, and now James wants to tell them, you must be without division or harmonious, impartial. Be without division in your own life. Have a coherency, a harmony in your own life. In your relationships, seek to live without partiality, without, without divisions. The wisdom that comes from above does not promote divisions, but is harmonious and unifying. And the seventh characteristic is sincere. Sincere. The word here is anupokrites, not having a facade, not having a mask, being transparent, being trans- tr- sincere, sincere in motivation, sincere in speech, sincere in action. You know, if something is not going well with you, don't pretend like it is going well. You know what I'm saying? Don't just put it under the rug. Address it. Bring it up. Bring it in a gentle, respectful way. Be sincere. Pretending like all is well for the sake of peace when things are not well does not do good to our, to our fellowship. Things will only get worse, deeper. The bitterness will only grow deeper. So even when, when we may not agree with someone on a particular matter, address it in kindness. Be sincere. Friends, did you notice that all these characteristics of wisdom are aimed at how we live with others. All these fruits of divine wisdom, the wisdom that comes from above, can truly be and are aimed at how to relate to one another. Helps us how to live as a church, as a community of Christians. So ask yourself, my friend, is the wisdom that you pursue, is the wisdom that you think you have, is it producing these fruits in your life? Purity, love, love for peace, gentleness, openness to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, harmony, impartiality, sincerity. Is this wisdom that you're pursuing producing such results? Friends, as a congregation, we want to seek a wisdom that comes from above. One of the ways that you can be praying for us as a congregation, as a church, is that in all things, at all times, in all decisions that we have, in all relationships we have with one another, that we would be guided and seeking this wisdom that comes from above, not a self-centeredness. Realize how James wants, to, wants us to measure our wisdom. 
It's not by our degrees. It's not by our diplomas. It's not by the schools we are attending or have attended or will want to attend. It's not by the kind of jobs we have. It's not by the kind of life experiences we've had. It's not even by age. We're not supposed to measure our, our wisdom by our age. I've heard an older pastor. I've heard an old, I did not say this. It was an older pastor saying it. Say the following. Often wisdom comes with age. But sometimes age comes by itself. Friends, not even age is a good guarantee that we are growing in wisdom, in the wisdom that matters, in the wisdom that comes from above. Sadly, there are situations, older people who make very foolish mistakes even in their old age. A man in his older age leaving his wife to whom he was married for decades for the sake of pursuing another woman. Friends, age alone is not a guarantee that we are growing in wisdom. True wisdom is not that which comes from life experience. True wisdom is a wisdom that comes from above. Not all wisdom is true, godly wisdom. Friends, don't be content simply to pursue wisdom. There's a wisdom that you should avoid. There was a, a wisdom that you should be weary of. There's a wisdom that is natural. There's a wisdom that is, that is earthly. It's a self-centered, self-boasting, self-ambitious wisdom. It will produce in you and in your relationships reason to boast. It will make you feel good for a while, but it will also produce in you disorder. And it will lead you to, to get all kinds and, and reap all kinds of evil practices. Instead, produce a wisdom that is from above. The wisdom that has the power to shape your entire life in a life of purity, in a life of wisdom, in a life of righteousness, in a life of humility. This wisdom is pure. This wisdom is peace-loving. This wisdom is gentle. This wisdom is open to reason. This wisdom is full of mercy and full of good fruit. This wisdom is impartial. This wisdom is sincere. And those who pursue it are sowing seeds of righteousness, seeds of peace, and a harvest of righteousness. So how do you receive this wisdom? Friends, if you're not a Christian, as I told you at the beginning of the sermon, Ask God to give you Christ. And when you get Christ, He will give you His wisdom. If you are a Christian, how do you get this wisdom? If you lack it, ask God to give it to you. And seek it and seek the fruits that that wisdom gives you. Not for you to boast in, but for you to grow in humility and meekness. And we, when, when we have a community of saints who grow in the wisdom that comes from above, a community of people who grow in humility, a church whose members seek to encourage one another and model before one another humility. Oh, friends, you have there a community where a harvest of righteousness abounds, where a community of peace overflows, where the righteousness of God brings fruit, a fruit that we resemble the wisdom of God. Let's pray. Father,
Thank you that you are a God who desires to share with us your wisdom. You desire to impart upon your children the wisdom that has its source in you and you alone. Father, thank you that you desire to give this wisdom generously to those who seek it from you. Oh, Father, make us a people who are able to discern that not all wisdom is wisdom. Help us to discern the wisdom that comes from below versus the wisdom that comes from you. Help us to be people who seek that wisdom that comes from you so that our ways of life, our good conduct and works in the meeks of wisdom may indeed be a reflection of what kind of wisdom we pursue in our lives. Father, we desire that through the works of wisdom, through these fruits of wisdom, your name, your kingdom, your reign would be made visible here on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.